before we get to today's show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Veracross. With a single record database and the strongest API in the industry, Veracross is the leading SIS provider for private and independent schools, and it's now available in Australia. Support us by supporting them, so visit veracross.com backslash edleaders to learn more. Now let's get to today's show. All right, welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Collier, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Before we get started, if you haven't thought about it already and you'd like to learn more, head over to the Ed Leaders website to learn about the masterminds that we run. And let's get to today's guest. It is Rob French. Yes, he's back, part three, one year in. The end of the three-part arc that we've been doing with Rob. For those of you who have missed it, part one and two, I suggest you go back and have a listen. Rob is the principal at Kilvington Grammar and today rounds out part three of his series on his first year principalship. So without further ado, let's get to it. Rob, welcome back to the show for part three. Thanks very much, Luke and Matt. Great to be back for part three. And, uh, yeah, excited about having another chat. Very excited. I always have good feedback about your episodes. Did you uh, have any feedback after part two? Generally, really positive. The only problem with part two is that I got into the um, trap of trying to mention too many people. And that was you, Luke, asked me to give a call out to anyone else. And then I started naming (laughs) names and then you're always going to leave people out. So I went a bit too specific. I thought you did a very thorough job. I'm impressed that people felt left out. I thought I was very thorough as well, but no, because you start mentioning names individually and you're not going to mention every name. So I did get a little bit of flack for that, but generally oh. really positive. All right. Self note, do you want to bypass that question at the end, Rob, or would you like to touch on the few that you missed at the end? No, I think I won't go there again. Let's, let's just put it down to the part two. And I have given a call out to as many as I possibly can. <laughs> All right. So, Rob, since we last caught up, what have you uh, been up to and uh, what have your reflections been uh, over the last six months uh, and your first 12 months in the headship? Yeah. So, since we last caught up, a really busy time. We had, we had a pretty hectic end of year, term four, really here. Um, not sure if it's the same in WA, but there was a lot of movement between schools in Victoria this year. And I think the last two years, people have been a bit reluctant to move, just a little bit hesitant about starting in a new school and then COVID and possibilities of lockdowns. But with that hopefully behind us, there was a lot of movement. So a lot of our time was taken up in recruiting. We lost some good people at the end of the year, just some other opportunities came up for them, but we also recruited some really good people. So that, that kept us pretty busy. Unfortunately, we were also on the receiving end of a, a data breach, a hacking incident as well. It was yeah, stressful for the community, for teachers and for parents and past parents and past staff. And that did absorb a lot of time as well, obviously having to negotiate and navigate the whole ins and outs of that. And you know, it's a whole new world that you're exposed to. And as we saw in the media, there was just so much of that going on towards the end of last year and so many organisations vulnerable. Uh, so it certainly did give us you know, a real wake up call into the way we've got to handle things moving forward. But so quite stressful. But besides that, we're able to also enjoy some really good community events at the end of the year. So yeah, generally really positive. And Rob, has there been any sort of standout moments that you've just gone, look, I really enjoyed that part of the job. Like I really enjoyed that moment, despite the sort of turmoil and the ups and downs of being ahead. Yeah, definitely, Matt. I think the one moment I remember really taking it in was at our celebration night 
right at the end of the year, you know, combination of the whole year, we had celebration of music and drama and there were the awards there as well as part of that night and some people coming from overseas to present awards in their family name that mean a lot to them. So obviously very special significance for them. So I just remember sitting there that night and thinking, you know, there'd been a pretty stressful couple of weeks in the lead up to it, but sitting there thinking the whole community together, just a wonderful way to celebrate the end of the year. And um, it was really special. So I held at uh, Monash University there at Robert Blackwood Hall, which just fits the community in. And I definitely remember sitting there that night, looking around and taking it in, thinking, yeah, this will become a bit of a benchmark. Hopefully moving forward in the next few years, I'll be sitting there at the end of every year, just reflecting on everything that's gone on. And that was very much one moment that stood out for me is just, yeah, this is a really special community and such a great community to be a part of. And uh, that really stood out that night. And is that a real sense that, you know, at the end of the year, everything is sort of, you know, is a summary of the purpose of why you do what you do? You know, it was an opportunity to actually step back and go, you know what, I'm making a difference, but actually this is what schooling is all about. Yeah, it's really well put, Matt. I think definitely when you do see the community come together like that and you're celebrating so many different aspects and so many different individuals and the culmination of the night was where our students from year four sing a song to the year 12s who are standing up on the balcony looking down on them. And I just thought that significance and symbolic moment there. And the other very special thing for me was that we had all of our year 12s come back, like one or two maybe who were traveling, but um, our year 12s come back for it. And this is well down the track. This is probably three or four weeks after the exams are finished. So they're well and truly done with school. They've moved on. Uh, Their results had come out, but they put their uniforms on for one more time and want to come back to it. And I think that held a bit of significance for me as well, because I'm not sure if you get that culture everywhere where 18 year olds who are now focused on life beyond school want to put their uniform on and want to come back to be part of this final send off. And I could see the special tribute to them just had a big meaning for them as well. There were a few tears and a bit emotional. And I think for them, that final recognition of this is it. This is the last time we put the uniform on. This is the last time we are Kilvington students from now on. We're alumni. So, yeah, very special in a lot of ways. And it does certainly bring, as you said there, just that culmination of everything we're trying to strive for. And if we end up with our year 12s wanting to be there, feeling emotional on their last day, then, you know, I think that's had an impact on that each individual as they move on beyond the school gates. And obviously that's certainly a highlight. And you maybe mentioned what you might go into here, not sure, but what has been probably one of the, uh, or some of the most difficult aspects or situations that you've faced during your first year? I think when you're dealing with school communities and and so many people, there are always going to be those stressful times because things aren't going to be going well for everyone all the time. And we had some of our staff and students who dealt with significant hardships through the year. And that's always really stressful because, you know, your thoughts are with the families and with the people involved. And then you're trying to also put in some practical supports to help as much as you possibly can. But you are in a lot of ways helpless. There's only so much you can do. So there are always going to be times where there is significant stress. Uh, The hacking thing that I alluded to also was I just felt the stress of the community there as well. And I suppose in some ways it helped that my information was part of this as well. I I wasn't um, immune to this and a lot of our staff were calling our superannuation providers and our banks just to let them know and put extra security in place around our accounts and our details that would have been potentially released out there. But for our parent community as well, I, I did feel the stress, a lot of parents as well, and some of them were also customers of Optus and Medibank and some other well-known organisations that were also breached. So there was just a general real stress around that as well. And having to get communication out there and having to also negotiate as much as we possibly could the best avenues forward. And I think what it brought forward for us very much is that there's two aspects to this. That's 
One is your systems and you want to make them as robust as possible. And we've put a lot of things in place to you know, hopefully prevent that happening again. And the second part of it is the data you keep. And schools traditionally do keep a lot of data, which is probably why they are potentially targeted by these organisations. So we are looking at the moment as what we can get rid of. And especially when students finish year 12, what we can then get rid of and don't need to keep anymore in our systems, obviously under obligations to keep file notes and reports and some data but we certainly can get rid of a lot of other things and we're looking at that at the moment and past staff as well. So we're just thinking now when, as part of our practice when let's say a staff is exiting the school and has their exit interview and as part of the process of handing in laptops and fobs for doors and that sort of thing, we might just also add that thing there too about, okay, what data do we now release of that person that we don't need to keep anymore? So a lot of aspects of that, but it was certainly a stressful period of time there and it did go on for quite a while because we were working with an organisation that were very helpful for us but they were trying to work out exactly what sort of data had been taken and who we needed to alert. So to make it as specific as possible, we tried to get back to people saying, this is the data of yours that we believe has been compromised. Um, so that was quite a painstaking process and quite time consuming. And that did cause stress, for, I know, for people as well, who were just waiting to hear what, a, what the upshot was for them. So I did really feel the stress of the community there and you know, really felt for people who were out impacted by that. And that was certainly a, a period of time and that did go on for quite a while, as I said, that uh, caused significant stress all around. Now, I'm interested in, you know, when you went to principal school, did they prepare you for a hack? <laughs> Absolutely not. It was just one of those things that I suppose now looking back, you can see that there had been this build up of this and more and more cybersecurity awareness and schools practicing these scenarios. So certainly wasn't something at this time last year when I was speaking to you that was on my mind as something that I was potentially going to be dealing with. But as we saw through this year, especially, or last year now, 2022, especially, it became so common. And we realized that so many organizations are vulnerable because these organizations are highly sophisticated and incredibly high tech. And that's going to make organizations worldwide vulnerable. And it is a billion dollar industry, unfortunately. And just one quick follow up to that. Because I know Matt's got a question. He's chomping at the bit there. You know, you talked about a company that you had involved helping you. You know, what sort of cost to the school did dealing with the hack and, and the, the organization, like what sort of actual cost did it have to actually work with this type of company to work through this process? It, it is, we haven't got exact figures for you, but it, it is a, a really expensive business. And that's why insurance is really important there. And it was great that our insurance was able to link us up with the organization to help us out. So. In a lot of ways, it was really comforting to know that, okay, insurance kicked in really quickly, linked us with this organization who are great, and they're incredibly high tech themselves, and they do a lot of things in your systems to strengthen them, and they're the ones who go through it all you know, with a fine-tooth comb to work out what could have been taken. So you do get a lot of support, but it is certainly expensive. Without insurance, it would have been quite impacting. And Rob, can you just sort of describe to us, you know, as much as you can, you know, what kind of management structure you put in place with your people on the ground so you had all these specialists coming in to help but did you have a crisis management team a war room if you like that was going through that process you know with those consultants with the comms plan if you like processes you know how we connect with our community what did that look like yeah uh, so quite a bit to it there so we had a lot few of us involved right from the start obviously our IT team from the start were Really good. And in a lot of ways, we got positive feedback from the organization that helped us too, and that our structures and our systems were fairly robust. And there'd been a lot of things that were they attempted to compromise that couldn't, including our main school database. So 
and we also had backup systems that were able to kick in very quickly and backed up for us. So we didn't actually lose data. We had some stolen, but we didn't actually lose it, which is incredibly stressful then if you have actually lost and it's not retrievable. Our director of business was great through that. So he was our main link between our own IT team here and the organization that came in to help us out with all of that and to troubleshoot, if you like. Uh, so we had that part of it going on just to work out, okay, what's happened? What's gone? How do we make it stronger? What, what do we need to do right now? And then we had our communication side of it. So our director of community relations was great and very important there. We also had a, a PR consultant we were working with as well and a lawyer just to help with our messaging. Because from the moment you find out that you've been hacked, obviously, and data has been taken, you first alert the community that, okay, we've had this incident. We now know that some of our data is taken. We'll keep communicating with you to let you know exactly what has been taken. And that took several weeks. So it was a series of weekly updates until we were able to get out to people specifically. So we had that communication side of things as well. So the main elements to it were definitely the the system itself and the IT side of things, and then the communication side of things and both having to work in parallel and quite time consuming, but you do want to get your messages right. And I think some organizations did yeah, added to their own difficulties, I think at times, because if you guys saw that if you do go too early, because uh, the early indications for us, it was quite positive. They actually didn't get evidence of data being taken initially, but we held off going out with that message just in case they were absolutely sure and something changed. And sure enough, a few days later, it changed. And I just thought, yeah, I'm really grateful that we didn't go out there saying, no, we have been hacked, but good news, data hasn't been taken. But And then having to go back saying apologies. But it is really in-depth and really sophisticated. And I can see how those mistakes or oversights can happen. So definitely that communication side of things is really important because that can add or take away significant stress for people. And also linking up with those other help organisations that can help out with identity and ID care and those groups that we're able to link in with and have a special case manager assigned to our school. And that made a big difference too because we're able to go out with parents with a number to contact and with people who can help us in this situation. So definitely a few elements to it. Certainly time consuming and uh, yeah, something you certainly want to avoid. I think the challenge there is, you know, obviously what you're talking about is that time consuming part and how as a leader, you've got all the, you know, an agenda that, you know, at the start of each term or at the start of each year that you want to work through or make changes to. And then as a leader, all of a sudden your time is sucked into this vortex of something that's actually not moving your community forward. I imagine that's quite challenging for a leader because you feel like you want to achieve X, Y, Z and, and you're kind of being constrained. Absolutely. And I think that's that classic difference where you know, the management and the leadership and the different levers and the different things you're going to be working on in that space. And there are going to be times where, unfortunately, the management has to absolutely take precedence because you've got to actually deal with this and it's going to be time consuming, but it needs to be dealt with really importantly before you are able to move forward on other things. Um, so certainly does mean other things get parked. And, and this was out of the blue. It was probably the September holidays that we first got alerted that we could be vulnerable to something here and something could have happened. And then it pretty much took up a lot of time through that term dealing with the ramifications and the communications. So it certainly does take up time, but it's not unlike when I speak to our people on the front line of pastoral care, our heads of house and deans of wellbeing, as we call them here. Um, same thing for them. They might have their day planned out and a few classes they're teaching and a few times they're going to be marking and then the phone rings in the morning and everything gets put aside because you've got to suddenly deal with a student crisis or something else that's come up. So it certainly does happen in schools quite a bit. There are quite a few of us in roles where every now and then your weeks or months can get absolutely um, taken over by something that you weren't expecting that you're blindsided by. But it's an important part of being able to 
juggle the demands of the role and to manage the role and know that at times you're not going to be able to focus on just the things that you want to focus on all the time because things are going to come up and they're going to be constant. And in the school environment, there's sure to be going to be those issues that come up from time to time that just demand time and attention immediately right there and then. So Rob, in the context of the challenge that you've been describing and, and crises that, that come along and but also the the joys and those moments of celebration. You know, I wonder if you were to sort of reflect back on our first conversation when you were in the chair, what surprised you? What do you feel like perhaps you weren't prepared for in these 12 months? Yeah, looking back, so it's probably about almost 12 months to the day, I think, from when we spoke that time, because I remember it was January, start of the year, and all this was ahead, which was, yeah, it was interesting now sitting here 12 months down the track. So look, to be honest, um, With things like that I've just described certainly came out of the blue and this time last year I hadn't been planning to have to deal with a situation like that one. But I don't think there was anything that was so left field for me that I thought I just was not ready for this. I just did not expect this. And I think that's the thing that when I was sitting here 12 months ago, I had enough experience in schools to expect the unexpected and to know that there were going to be things that were going to be challenging that were going to come up. And I just had to bank on the fact that I would have a team here, I'd have people to work with, um, I'm generally pretty calm under pressure and thought that was something that did come through as well for me and was a strength at particular times. So I don't think there was anything that I thought I'm absolutely got no idea what to do here and something that I totally was not ready for. But having said that, there were certainly specific things along the way, such as what I've just described that I hadn't planned for. But in the overall context of preparing for the role and I think I was as well-placed coming into it as what I could have been as far as that goes about being ready to handle unexpected things and being able to deal with all these things. And I think the COVID was just an absolute classic example of that. At the start of 2020, we had no idea in schools what was about to unfold on us that was pretty much going to take up two years of and dominate our time and our thinking and our energies for that two years. So I think when you're yeah, certainly working in schools through that period of time, you have been used to being absolutely blindsided, left field. I'm sure principals who would have been talking to you at the very start, January 2020, the last thing they were expecting to be dealing with was a pandemic and lockdowns and remote learning and shutdowns. But it certainly did show us that you do need to pivot pretty quickly and you need to move quickly and adjust. And I think that's probably your key thing that you don't just lock into thinking this week I'm going to do X, Y and Z and it's absolute definitive. This is my plan and I will not veer from it. You do have to go into each week with a bit of flexibility, knowing that there's going to be things that could come up this week that you haven't been expecting, but you're going to have to deal with and you're going to have to do the best job you possibly can with them. And that's what your community needs from you. And you just need to be ready for that at all times. You talked a little bit earlier about the people in your community that had hardships and your feeling of at times potentially feeling a little bit helpless. And you also talked about that feeling, you know, especially around the hack of that you felt the stress of your community. Has that amplified in this role compared to your previous role because you're the main point of connection to those people in that community that that I guess taking on that feeling yeah I think that's a really good question and although I have got a really good team here to you know, share some of that stress with and who's certainly incredibly supportive you do feel it more when you're in this position compared to say the deputy role that I was in previously it's just amplified as you said just because you you are that person with that the buck stops with and I think you do carry a little bit more of the weight of your community and you just you know that there's people out there hurting and you're the one ultimately taking responsibility and uh, taking leadership for it. So it, it certainly does impact more. How has that affected you? You know, like has it manifested in any way or is it just more time thinking about those things or is it, you know, is there anything that you've personally felt that 
you know, has been challenging for you in managing that stress? Yeah, certainly um, probably you lose a bit of sleep from it and you've always got to keep come back to your own self-awareness and what you need to do to, to escape. So for me, it might be heading for a gym session and a swim or a, an evening walk with the dogs or yeah, I did have to be very aware through some of those periods of time because you could be so absorbed in it that you're not looking after yourself. And I always, uh, even coming into the more senior roles a couple of years ago in schools, I was always really determined that I wasn't going to be one of those people that didn't eat through the day, for instance, and you know because I was so focused on other things. And I just always thought I'm going to be better for other people if I look after myself and you know, eat properly, exercise properly, sleep properly as much as possible. So I certainly did was very aware of that through, say, a stressful time like the hack situation. That could have been 24-7, could have been just demanding my time and attention and my thoughts. But I was determined to make sure I had time where I did look after myself by you know, eating properly, exercising, spending time with family. And I think you're then, in a, or I'm certainly in a much better mindset then to be able to deal with things and probably thinking a bit more clearly. I think if you're just so absorbed in something and you're not sleeping and you're not eating, you're just going to wear yourself out. And I think then your decisions can become a bit impaired and you're not always going to be as sharp as you want to be. So I think in a way that doing the best job you can is also looking after yourself because you're just in a better position to make better decisions, to be a bit clearer thinking, to be a bit better with communication with other people around you. And also the image you present during a time like that is incredibly important. And I did feel that during that time, people are looking to you. And this probably comes back to that question there about feeling it a little bit more. People are very much looking to you as principal in a situation like a crisis and how you are appearing is incredibly important. So as I said before, I'm, I'm generally pretty calm and have that calm persona. And I think that was really important through that stage because the last thing people need is some person in charge tearing through corridors and screaming and yelling and panicking and giving the impression that they're certainly not looking after themselves. They're erratic and they're not thinking clearly. Um, people want calmness through times like that. And that is really important. And I think part of that is looking after yourself so that you are in a position to present that to people. Just on that, I was thinking this the other day at Torquay when I was swimming out there in the open water. You do do a lot of thinking out there. Um, when I was at Geelong Grammar and Martin Seligman and his team first came in, so I started at Geelong Grammar when the positive education, the Penn University people came. And I remember them talking about character strengths. And of the 24 character strengths, they said, if you action any one of them, it's going to lead to increased happiness and well-being in yourself. The only exception to that, according, this was quite a while ago, so I'm not sure if research has changed, but was prudence. Was that practicing prudence as a character strength or trait didn't actually enhance your own sense of happiness or well-being. But they did say that prudence as a strength in parents actually increases the happiness of their children. And I was thinking that when I was swimming the other day that I think prudence in a school principal enhances the well-being and the general, I would say, happiness of the school community, even say more than a lively personality that's um, jocular and funny and cracking jokes all the time. I think what people would prefer is prudence as a character strength in their leader, especially in a time where things are a bit stressful. And I was thinking that the other day, that that just was reminded of that. It always stuck with me, that interesting statistic about the parents and their children being happier if the parents have prudence as a strength. And I think in certain times, that's really important in a school leader. And that's a really good segue, Rob, into thinking about what the next 12 months looks like at Kilvington and what you hope to achieve. And, you know, what does your community need from you in this next 12 months? So what kind of reflections have you done about what's to come in 2023? Yeah, once again, a really good question. We've got some strategic priorities that we're working on. So I'm really looking forward to, in a couple of weeks' time, we've got an exec retreat and we're going to be putting the final 
bits and pieces to that. So we're working under five guiding principles. So we're looking at our inspired learning culture. The second one is student character and care. The third one is our people and culture. Fourth is community, so connecting to our alumni community and parent community and local community. And the fifth one is sustainability, future development, including the finances and environmental sustainability. So I'm really looking forward to really getting my teeth into those because that was one of the things that probably I wasn't able to give the exact time I wanted to in term four when the data breach had occurred and we had a lot of our exec meetings were looking at sort of different um, aspects of that as opposed to working on the long-term vision and the the priorities that we're looking at. We're also launching four new school values this year coming up, respect, compassion, curiosity, perseverance. We want to make them a real stable within the school as well. And so we're looking at a whole lot of areas through there. And there's also just a few decisions that I just put on hold or parked a bit through last year. A couple of new staffing appointments that we've been possibly looking at, a few new positions in the school. And I'm really excited to be able to keep working on those and getting those in a really good position. Um, it was one of those things we talked about decision-making a bit, I think, in the first or second podcast and how many decisions you do have to make. And one of the things I did really reflect on and work out is that it is okay to put decisions off and not to make them and at times appear a bit indecisive so that you get the right out- outcome in the end. And I do think if there's anything unsettling about something or if you feel it's too soon, it's best to put it on hold and come back to it. And that was certainly the case with a, a couple of positions that we were talking about through last year that certainly make sense. But I just felt for me, it was a bit soon. Just felt I'm in my first year. They're quite big appointments. They're quite significant. You know, these things all cost money as well. I just want to be a bit more cautious with them and taking a bit more time to get them right and to get exactly the positions right uh, before we go out with those, which we'll be able to do in the early part of this year. But so certainly looking at a couple of uh, really good appointments we'll be making, embedding our guiding principles and really doing the best we can. What we're going to do under each of those five guiding principles is work out our absolute priorities. And we're looking at a plan that's just going to keep evolving. So rather than saying this is a five-year strategic plan, what we're um, looking at is, okay, these are our strategic priorities under these five pillars or principles, and they're just going to keep evolving. So as one might be achieved, that will come off, other ones will come on. And we're just going to look at this as an evolving plan that we'll uh, hopefully unveil to everyone very early this year and then have in place and very much visual through the school because I think that's one of the other things that does happen sometimes to strategic planning. It's incredibly well-intentioned. It's really well thought out, but then it does disappear a bit into a tab on the website or into some brochures. And I think to keep it as a rolling set of priorities, we're going to keep that in our forefront of our minds and and keep that as something that we just keep focused on rather than parking aside. And and I think I will chat to our um, board chair as well about reporting under those five guiding principles and just changing the subheadings of how I do report to the board so they're constantly on first and foremost on all of our minds through the board process as well. And uh, you talked there a little bit about your chair. You know, early on in, I think, part one, we talked about meeting the chair and getting to know them. A year into that relationship, how has that evolved over time? Yeah, really positive. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be working with a great board and a great chair. Um, she's very passionate about the school being a former student and having her own younger children here at the moment. So it's quite easy for us to catch up as well because she's often coming in to drop off or pick up so we can catch up and just have a regular meeting say ahead of our board meetings but also the incidentals and to be able to give a call and and especially through things like the stress of what we were dealing with in term four with the data situation she was very heavily involved in that and very supportive and out in industry as well and knows full well the um, IT vulnerabilities and got her own skill set very much as well around that so um, no very fortunate that that's evolved into a very positive relationship because I can just see how crucial that is and 
And if that's not a positive relationship, how much extra stress that would place on the principal. So and I'm very fortunate to be working with such a supportive board and chair and a very positive relationship. And I guess, Rob, you know, what you've things that you just highlighted there is the importance of relationships and using different people's strengths. And when you think about your priorities for the year and your strategic priorities, you're also sort of thinking about your team and how they might support you in delivering those things. What are the strengths of of others that you're going to need to leverage to bring those priorities to life? Yeah, another really good question. I'm really fortunate with the exec team too, because I think while we're very diverse personalities, we do bring different even ways of thinking about things. So there's some also really good listeners there within the group. And at times it's great if I talk to someone and I'm just not quite sure about the way to go or the decision to make on something. And you know, I've in the past talked to some of the exec, some of the other members of the team who might be involved in it, say, would you mind having a chat to such and such? I just want to get your take on what they're saying and what they're wanting or what they're asking for out of this. And then to get their thoughts on it, really strong, really powerful. So I think it's not so much looking at, okay, this person's got these traits, these traits, these traits, because I think we all come and go with different strengths and different values say that we action at different times but certainly different ways of thinking about things is really important and I do really value the times where I can speak to all of the exec team and other leaders throughout the school environment as well just to get their thoughts and opinions on things because I think that's the key thing not to think I've got to make a decision myself on this one but to canvas a couple of other opinions canvas some views and it was like I referred to before it was in doing that canvassing some other views that I came to the final decision a couple of months ago that I was just going to put a few things on hold and there was just there was a little bit of uncertainty for me there was getting some really good views from other people but they're a bit mixed about the way forward and the best way forward with some of the positions that we're going to be introducing and that's why we parked it and took a bit more time to flesh it out and I felt in a lot better position at the end of the year and coming into this year that we have got more time to work on those so certainly coming back to that question about other their traits I think that as I said I've got a really good team there of great listeners really good different strengths of leadership in their own right and uh, great communicators. And so I think it's just very much making sure that I'm valuing the team, that I'm valuing the input of the team and taking all opinions into consideration before ultimately making any decision that might need to be made. So as I said, very fortunate with the current exec structure that we've got. We've got a great deputy head, Julia, who looks after a whole lot of other aspects of the school side. So I'd say while a few of us, uh, I was mentioning this recently, that while a few of us were very absorbed in the data situation for a few weeks, um, she was very much organising the celebration night that was coming up that was so important because if all of us had down tools to focus on the other thing, that night wasn't going to happen as it did. So we needed all people on deck just doing different things at different times. And, and at times, the leadership group are going to have to show different strengths and different qualities of their leadership to be able to get whatever job needs to be done achieved, especially at a time where we might be dealing with yeah, something that's taking a lot of other uh, time and attention from others. So it's a bit of a wayward answer to say that it is a really good team that at time I'm leveraging, really it's just their the ability to listen, their ability to think about things in a bit of a different way that I might be and then contribute what they think the best idea moving forward is going to be that ultimately helps my decision making, which is so important. And has there been a, a growing confidence or in that shift from deputy where sometimes or the team that you're talking about there where sometimes it really is about advisory? So you're advising your thoughts, your ideas on a, on a topic, and that's the role that you had for many years to transitioning to that person who's seeking the advice, but then ultimately making that decision. And is that a skill that you think will grow over time? Obviously, you're a very collaborative leader and seek the input of, of many in your decisions. Do you think that 
you will always have that as your disposition or do you think the longer you're in that role, the more confidence you'll grow into making those decisions with potentially less collaboration? Collaboration is always going to be something that I will hold as important and I think people just, they feel very strongly about things and I think it is very sensible to take a whole lot of different input for a lot of reasons. And one is there just might be people out there, not just the exec group, I'm talking other teachers might have really good ideas and really strong convictions about something that they would like to see introduced and do have to canvas ideas, I think, before making decisions. Now, obviously, it's different in a crisis where something needs to be decided on really, let's go, we're going to do this and off we go. But generally, when you've got a bit of time, I think consulting is the best way to make decisions because you are involving people in the process. And even if it ultimately doesn't fall the way that they want, to fall and there were a few people a bit disappointed a few months ago as i said that i took the decision to put some of these um new positions off but i think if they feel listened to you've heard them you've explained to them why you've come to your ultimate decision i think you've just got better traction and you've just got a better feel within your community rather than just saying okay i've been in this job for a while now i'm going to just make my own decision on this unilateral without that consulting but what I came to, it was a really good point you made, Matt, because I think we did talk about that in the first podcast, that what, one of the things that surprised me was just how many decisions you make every day. And some of them seem pretty small, but they can have domino effects. And if you haven't thought through it carefully, I think I said there, just never make a decision in the corridor when someone bails you up and said, would you mind if I introduce such and such next week? Because it might sound great right there and then, but have you thought that that impacts on X, Y, Z? But so what I came to, and I don't think I've taken this from anyone else specifically. I might have taken different ideas, but I came up with the three C's for myself of decision-making. And I apologize if other people have come up with this. Oh, Matt loves a good framework. He's got the yeah. good framework. <laughs> Bring it on, Rob. Let's go. The three C's. And as I said, I apologize if other people have uh, published these. I promise I didn't take them from any book I read. I just came up with these, evolved slowly. But when making decisions, especially these important ones, I was asking myself three questions. First and foremost, what is the compassionate thing to do? Second one is, what is the common sense thing to do? And the third one is, what's the consistent thing to do, if applicable, if you've been in this position before? And that tended to just give me, a, yeah, as you said, a bit of a framework just around making some of these calls, making some of these decisions and sitting down and just giving a few moments thought to each one of those questions did help come through with a couple of um, different, because you're dealing with so many different people and so many different situations all the time. And I thought at least having a little bit of a framework there just to uh, make your decisions based on a couple of key things that you're just considering certainly helped out towards the end of the year. So it wasn't until probably term four that I finally landed on those three, but they're the three that do certainly for first and foremost in my thinking when I've got to make any key decisions. And I'm talking more significant decisions other than just your quick fire, you know, can we just do such and such? Or yes, of course we can. You know, those, or can we change the casual day, close day from this day to this day? You know, I'm not talking about those sort of things. I'm Talking about things that impact people more and impact the community more might cost a bit more money and just might need a bit more thinking out. If you love what we do here at Ed Leaders, then please support us by supporting our sponsors. And today's episode sponsor is Veracross. Is your school ready for the modern age? Well, we've got good news for you. Veracross, the leading CIS provider for private and independent schools, is now available in Australia. Trusted by hundreds of schools in more than 30 countries around the world, Veracross is the only 100% cloud-based single record database built exclusively for private and independent schools. It's one system for your entire school. Integrations with popular edtech solutions like Schoolbox, Pixevity and Digistorm enable seamless workflows and easy to access information. 
Plus, their in-country data center improves network speed and privacy so you can rest easy knowing your school's data is secure and protected with Veracross. Make 2023 the year your school moves to the cloud. To learn more about Veracross, visit veracross.com backslash edleaders. That's V-E-R-A-C-R-O-S-S dot com backslash edleaders. And it would mean the world to us if you or your school's director of IT check them out. Now back to today's show. What's interesting about those three C's, Rob, just for mind, is that they're deeply grounded in values. They're deeply grounded in not only yourself personally and professionally, but your community. You know, and so if you're acting with compassion, you're acting in common sense, but consistency, your values are lived in your culture. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I hadn't thought about it that way, but certainly, yeah, looking at them, I, th- I think you're right there. They, they are ingrounded in values that I would like. And compassion, for instance, is one of the four values that we want to be really launching this year, which has always been a key part of the school life. We just haven't articulated in terms, I think, what had happened in the school in the past. The values had grown and we had a list of like about 12 or 14 and we just wanted to bring it back to a few that we'd all know. From ELC through year 12, we'd be able to talk about and everyone knows and visual everywhere. Uh, so certainly they're the absolutely values-based and the consistency thing I also saw the importance of as well because nothing frustrates, let's say, staff more than where they see inconsistent decisions that such and such was allowed to do something last week and now I'm being told, no, I can't. So definitely consistency, just like with students, nothing frustrates students more than inconsistency. And when, when they see something as unfair, that's when you start to lose students. So they do very much appreciate that consistency as well. And so I think it's the same in teaching. Um, so those values certainly very important. And yeah, it's a good way to put it, Matt. I think they are quite um, better down in some core values and core values that we do like to really promote through the school. So anyway, that's a framework that I've come up with. And that's sort of just helping with a couple of these key things. And they're also good questions to ask. Let's say if you're at an exec meeting and you've all got to make a combined decision on something, just to put those questions out there to get the different answers on those things is a really good way to just uh, brainstorm the ideas too. Now, I can't remember if I've asked you this question before, Rob, or not. I'll have to go back and uh, have a good listen. But CEO versus CEO, it's something that we've asked a few guests on the show, the, the chief education officer versus the chief executive officer as a principal of a school. You're a year into your role. Where do you think you land on that scale between being, uh, you know, learning versus executive yeah i think the see the thing i always sort of think you're in a school education first and foremost and that's your core business so i probably do lean towards that and that's certainly where i feel more comfortable you know i've been a teacher for a long time and i love getting into the classroom still so i I certainly do always am aware that at the bottom line here at the heart of everything we're doing is education and it's all about the school and the education and everything else is happening around that and you do need really good systems and you really need yeah, the executive part of the school in place to be able to then deliver that. But my strength is certainly leaning towards the education side of things. And I'm lucky to have a really good arm of the school, our um, director of business, Hiron, who does a great job with that side of the school. And we, he and I catch up yeah, several times a week. I very much trust him as well with a lot of these, um, just some of these things even around building works. And he's got a really good knowledge with the guys who are on the ground working on different building projects and when things need to be done. But obviously that whole financial part of the school life as well. Um, so while I have oversight, it's great to be able to work with a really competent team with that as well, which does mean that I can focus on the education side of things first and foremost. But having said that, I'm certainly always looking to develop that other side. And I think next week I've signed myself up not to do the full company directors course, but the three-day foundations course. 
on governance and risk and strategy and finance. So I'm doing that next week in Melbourne for three days. So I'm certainly always aware that that side of school life is important and is key and a principal can't ignore it and can't come in saying, I'm a teacher and I love kids and I love the classroom. That's where I want to focus all my time and energy because what's going to happen then is that you know other things are going to fall by the wayside that actually allow you to be able to do what you love doing. So really important, both parts of the school. My strengths are certainly more in the education side and that's where my background is, but I am really keen to keep learning and to keep exploring and to keep that executives and the governance side of um, my own skill set growing because, uh, as I said, it is certainly key and crucial as well. And that's a, a really good segue to, I guess, our, our personal reflection, you know, Rob, is what are you going to do intentionally more of or less of in 2023? Yeah, breaking that down on the personal front, I think I mentioned this in the first podcast as well, that I can definitely see that long-term principals might cut themselves off from their own social networks and be so absorbed in school life that 10 or 15 or 20 years down the track, they realize they've retired and have cut off all their connections. So on the personal front, what do I want to keep up? You know, the exercising and the looking after myself and time with family. I also want to extend myself a bit more socially into my old friendship groups, including my old um, school friends. And I'm catching up with uh, one of my old really close school friends in a couple of weeks time and just want to make sure that I'm doing that a bit more regularly. So that a personal, I'm just going to look after that side of things a bit more. And on the professional side, I think it's just being out and about as much as I possibly can, because I, I think I did spend a lot of time, I, I made conscious decisions last year to be at school quite a bit. And there are a couple of good PD opportunities that I just thought, not at the moment, I'm just going to let that go because I just want to be on the ground a bit more. And But there are, like I said, the course I'm doing next week. So I'm, I'm just going to look to professionally grow a bit through this year, just by doing some of those courses where I do see some of the things that I really need to keep growing and developing, such as that company directors one I'm doing next week. And also, I think I did a pretty good job last year. I love getting into the classrooms. I didn't actually have a class to teach, but especially through terms two and three, where we had some pretty heavy absentees, I used to just look at the absentee list at the start of the day, especially if there were some history teachers that are missing and their classes were up for grabs. And I just let our daily organizer know that I'll take that one. And it was always good news because if you're a full-time teacher, you know you, you don't love your cover classes generally. Um, so to be able to let them know, look, don't worry about that. I'm going to look after that session three class. Um, and that went down well. So I definitely want to keep getting out there a bit more for that. But the other elements of school life, the co-curricular, especially sport, I got to watch a few really good games last year, but I want to get out there a little bit more this year to make sure I'm doing that. And I think that it's balancing that time. You know that the more you're out there, you're loving it and you know the emails are building up and you know there's other people that are waiting for answers on things. So you do have to keep it in balance. You just can't be out there and about all the time. But certainly the sports side of things is a great avenue of school life and it's great to see kids out in that environment. And I did get out there a bit last year, but I certainly want to be out there a bit more this year. Had a couple of really good epic games I watched, including my own daughter who goes to the school locally to us as she stayed at Kingswood, which is local to us where we live, and they play against Kilvington in our division. So I watched her in the AFL grand final against my own kids. So it was interesting barracking for my own school against my daughter's uh, team there. But yeah, certainly want to be a bit more involved in that side of school life. So You would have gone home a winner either way, Rob. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, getting out there and, and being really visible in the school is still going to be really important to me. And just getting that balance between, okay, um, yeah, how much time can I, in a day, can I be out there and taking a class or two or taking a mentor group compared to, okay, there's a couple of people waiting on some decisions here or waiting for me to get back to them on things before things can proceed. So you can't just um, be out there all the time. 
and what I fell into the habit of a little bit late last year, I actually quite enjoyed the later part of the day, just when things had quietened down a bit. You know, I've got a really nice office here with a beautiful um, outlook. So some, watching the seasons change out there has been really nice. But at the end of the day, I found that it was quite a relaxing time to put on a little bit of quiet relaxation music, go through emails, clear up the things that I needed at the end of the day, having been out there quite a bit through the day. And I, I thought that was not a bad little balance, but some things there's going to be other activities I've got to head off to that prevent that from happening. So getting that balance right between time out on the ground and time out there meeting and greeting and getting to know students, getting to know teachers compared to just, I suppose, doing your admin, which, you know, both important and the balance is going to be the key to that. And I'd still love if someone could give me the uh, little absolute success potion for how you balance email and um, how you allocate your time to those compared to other things through the day, but it's got to work for each individual. Now, Rob, when I do the uh, the social media post, I'm going to get a screenshot of how you look today and a screenshot of how you looked on the first day 12 months ago. I think that you're looking pretty comfortable in that office from this side of the camera anyway, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel about how comfortable you feel in your role now a year in? Yeah, okay, a scale. Um, no, really comfortable and very much looking forward to it, which is great. So I'd, I'd say I'm a... Yeah, an eight and a half or a nine. I never want to say 10 because you never know what's going to have something could happen next week that I think I'm I'm dealing with this. And so you never want to get complacent, but I do feel really comfortable and established in the community and established with our our staff team and in a really good position to then launch into this year. And this is one of the other things I was thinking about with um, the Torquay where we spent just down on the coast there last week with, and I was saying this to my wife that what I want to see that We've been doing Torquay every year for about 10 years and our kids grow up each summer and bring their cousins along. So it's been great for the family. But I want to look at that as, okay, that's the launch into the new year. And that's a great way to launch into the new year. And a little bit of thinking out there on the water, a little bit of reading, but generally switching off. And that's the launching pad into the year rather seeing that as I just cannot wait for that holiday. And once that holiday's over, oh, you know, here we go again. I think changing the mindset of that is, yeah, that's been a great launching pad. So I feel fresh, feel relaxed, got a fair bit of sun. And it's a really good way to launch into the year, including the course next week and then all the other beginning of the year things that are always exciting. But I think even going back to my own student days, I still, the start of the school year, you know, those hot February days and the whole school comes to life again. And I still love that as a student. I love that as a teacher and I love that as a principal when the school comes to life again. So although you know, holidays are great and you'd love to be in them for a long time, it is a great way to launch into a new year. And that's what it is. It's a launching pad. It's not going to last forever. And uh, you make the most of that time before you launch into the uh, fresh challenges and opportunities ahead. But no, feeling really comfortable. It's a great community. It's a great place. And overall, reflecting on last year, I think, yep, yeah, in a really good place. There's a couple of things I'd do a bit differently, but generally, yeah, pretty happy with how it all played out and happy with my role in the school as it stands and ready to launch into a new year. That sounds fantastic, Rob, and that you're still just as passionate and confident, you know, throughout your experience in, in the 12 months. And, you know, that gives us great optimism and, you know, for all of us as we, we start a new year. You know, and as we, we sort of close out our time together, you know, what advice would you give to other people in, in the same situation you've been in over this last 12 months? Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day, just in the lead up to having a chat to you again, because thinking back to, as I said, it was probably 12 months of the day that I was sitting here last year. And at that stage, there was so many people to meet and so many things ahead. That So I think the main thing I would say to people is starting a new principalship, make sure you are very much yourself from the start. Because I think sometimes, let's say you're a more reserved person, maybe introverted, which is okay. I think principals can come in all sorts of different personality types and make a good fist of it. But I think really important to be yourself from the start. So if you are an introverted personality, for example, 
don't think you've got to be the bigger than large personality out there when you're meeting parents and teachers because you're not being your authentic self and you'll confuse people a bit because there's the one thing for sure is through the school year your true self is going to come through so just be yourself from the start the, the board's appointed you because they are recognizing the fit for the school and that's what they're wanting so definitely don't feel you've got to be someone other than who you really are and just going back to what I said before, the other bit of advice I'd give is it's okay not to make decisions or delay them because there might be just a lot of different pieces to a puzzle you don't have straight away. So it's okay to delay, especially you've got a good 12-month grace period before anyone's expecting major things, unless you're coming in with a different um, expectation from the board. If they want major shakeups, that's very different. That's a very different principleship. But generally, you're coming into it with time on your side to make those decisions. Um, the next thing I'd say goes back to just looking after yourself and your health and your relationships and not neglecting your own self-care. Own your mistakes and be as transparent as possible. Don't try to hide and cover up. And I think people do appreciate if you say, look, everyone, I've done this thing and it's probably not the, with hindsight, I would have done it a bit differently. I apologize for that, but we're now fixing it up. And I think people will appreciate that. And then I would also say, just remember you are building a team first and foremost. Don't try to do it all yourself because I think sometimes there might be the temptation to come in as the fixer and I'll sort this out and I'll sort that out and you get yourself involved in all sorts of different things that you probably don't need to. Uh, you've got a team there in place and they're there for a reason. So make sure building the team is first and foremost on your mind. Make sure you keep things in perspective. You know, ask yourself what's the worst possible thing that can happen here and generally, you know, it's going to be okay and um, it's not the end of the world. And I think going back to what I said before, as much as you possibly can, stay calm and stay calm when the chips are down because that's what people will be wanting. And that's what people will be really reassured by your own calmness, especially when there's a crisis going on around you. So they're the little things that I would leave people who are in this position. And I know that there's a lot of, certainly in Victoria and around Australia, there's a lot of principals about to embark on their first ventures. So I do wish them all the best. And you're heading into what is just an amazing job. And it is an absolute privilege to be able to given this, be given the opportunity to lead a school. But it does come with challenges and significant demands. And you do need to really as I said, really be aware of your own self-care in that because it can be pretty absorbing. Great advice there. Now, before we get to my favourite segment, the six in 60 seconds, we have asked you many, many questions, lots of questions over the last year, Rob. And uh, I'm just going to give you the opportunity to uh, not do what you did last time and uh, mention every person uh, <laughs> this side of uh, Timbuktu, but is there a question that you might like to throw over to us before we get to uh, the quickfire six? Actually, yeah, just having a think about some of the things we've been talking about, because I know through the podcast, and um, I think I told you I first got onto the podcast when I was, it was really fortuitous one weekend where I was thinking, I want to do a bit of reading, I want to do a real bit of preparation. And Troy Stanley, who's been one of your past guests, my old colleague at Camwell, put me onto the podcast. And it was just everything I was looking for as far as there are some, some of those experienced principals giving their advice. And so I know over time, you guys have spent a lot of time with a lot of educators. But just thinking of principals for a moment, you've spoken to a lot of current and past principals. So I suppose the thing I'd be interested in is, is there a common theme that you've picked up about the things that cause them the most stress, first of all, in the job? And... Second part of that would be, has there been some common themes about how they manage that stress? I think what's interesting is that kind of theme that, you know, nothing can prepare you for a crisis perfectly and that there have been times too where nothing necessarily prepares you for the emotional toll 
some of those crises take on on the leader at the top of the tree. And certainly some of the things that you've spoken about of making sure that you're grounded with family, particularly in terms of a support structure, has been an absolute key theme that's come through. But also making sure that you've got a good team around you. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. But what's been sort of quite, as I said, highlighted to us is just, you know, it's the greatest job, but it could also be the greatest job with the worst days, you know, and it's sometimes a bit lonely at the top. Mm. Um, and so making sure that you've surrounded yourself with that support structure, both professionally and personally, is absolutely key to be able to navigate what can be, you know, quite a tumultuous experience at times. There are obviously times of great joy and, and celebration, but it doesn't come without its, its difficulties. So that would probably be my summation of some of the discussions that we've had. Luke, you might have a different view. Yeah, I think when I think about that and what people have said, it's often the challenge with people. People are inherently hard. You know, dealing with communities is hard. You know, they throw up challenges that, you know, are completely unforeseen and unique to each individual situation and, and some of those things that you've talked about, you know, throughout your journey as well. And, and I think people are, you know, you can't control how people are going to react to situations there's always going to be some people that are happy with a decision, some people that are, you know, maybe frustrated with a decision. And I think those leaders who are able to navigate the complexities of people, but also not take on the emotional toll on a daily basis and have a way of almost uh, not necessarily water off a duck's back. That's not what I mean here, but those leaders who are able to navigate both sides of those stories and those challenges that people bring to them and kind of wake up the next day and kind of move on with the next issue, I think have the greatest, probably one of the greatest gifts of being a leader in a school and, and are then able to have that longevity because they don't carry the stress of those situations for longer than 24 or 48 hours, you know, a day or two later, it's in the past, it's in the rear view mirror and they can move on. And, and I think the other thing when we're talking to leaders and, and, and you've talked about this as well, is that ability that they've got something else for themselves in their life. You know, I remember even going back to a really early episode with Steve Byrne who went out for a surf on a regular basis, you know, getting out there for an hour in the morning and just like you talked about being out there for a swim or a run, clearing the mind, processing, having that time to themselves and um, allowing themselves their own time, you know, I think is really important and helps with that longevity in a role. And so for me, it's probably those two things that that challenge of people, but then also that challenge of ensuring that on a regular basis, people are finding their own time for their own well-being. And I think those two keys are really important for leaders. That certainly makes sense. And when you think of the longevity, and I know some of the people you've spoken to have been long-term principals, and uh, you certainly wouldn't be able to do it long-term without, I think, yeah, that ability to be able to, first of all, find your own outlet of what you need to be able to do. And as you just said there, Luke, not carry things, not be able to carry things where they burden you down and deprive you of sleep for too long. Might be a day or two, then you're able to compartmentalise and move on. And I certainly see that in the longevity of the role, which would be important. Probably the other thing I should have said before about passing on the advice is just don't lose your sense of humour too because um, schools can be really fun places and they should be fun places when you're dealing with so many young people all the time and while there's tough days um, there is a lot of fun out there to be had and keep your sense of humour and keep it, that team around you with people you can have a laugh with as well you can't keep your guard up all the time and that's really important too 
I love that. And on that note, we'll get to my uh, my favourite segment of the show, six in 60 seconds. One word or idea. Rob, you know the drill. Favourite event of the Kilvington school year? Yeah, I'd say the celebration night that we were, spoke about earlier. Just a great culmination of the year and great celebration of the school community. What is one student interaction or story that you will never forget? I think I mentioned in the first podcast, um, I've got a corridor just down where the preps ones and twos are, which I've never had in my career before. I think I told you about playing Connect Four and being beaten by one of the year ones who saw me as not challenging enough. But um, one of the best parts of my week, and I mentioned this at Celebration Night, is there's a group of year two girls who on a Friday afternoon would put on a little show or concert for their classmates and sing songs to them. And they used to give me little written invitations to go along and watch that. And there was just something that I loved Friday afternoon. Yeah, the end of the week going to watch the five or six of them who would stand up and sing songs like the Lady Gaga from, um, you know, Shallow from um, that film. And uh, just to watch them in action every Friday was just one of the joys of um, having that corridor shared as well with the younger ones. So I think that's something that will always stick with me, just that fun on a Friday afternoon, watching the pure joy of, first of all, the girls putting on the show and rehearsing and having movement choreographed as well and their classmates appreciating it so much as well. It was a lot of fun. I love that. What's one thing that you're most proud of from your first year in the role? I think it's just the establishing of relationships. And I would like to think that I'm trusted by staff, that they can come to me and see me as very open door and able to be um, spoken to at any time about things and, and trusted. So I think the establishing of relationships with staff, with students and parent community and our alumni is probably the thing that I'm proudest of. What matters now more than ever in our schools? There's a lot of things that matter, but I'd say staff well-being and just the teaching loads and we're talking about time in loofah camps and things like that here in Victoria. So I think what matters very much in schools is staff well-being because we are seeing quite high dropout rates in young teachers coming into the profession. So to get longevity in careers, we really need to focus on staff well-being. Should we be publishing a median ATAR result or not? Reluctantly, I say yes, we should, because some schools want to get their news out there, so they're just going to put it out there anyway. And then if you don't, if it's not out there, then um, people are going to think, oh, what's happening? And so I think reluctantly, just for the ease of the situation around that time, I'd say publish, because schools will often want to get their message out there anyway, and it will happen. And if they're not published, they'll be leaked anyway, and things will get out there. And uh, so I think publish, but I do say that reluctantly. And finally, if you could change one rule or one thing in education, what would it be? I could say the ATAR, but um, I would say, you know, the, uh, one of the challenges I think with education at the moment, I just think it's the, in Victoria, I'm speaking Victoria, but the equivalent in other states of the whole system of VCE or HSE or whatever it is in that state to get the year 12 ATAR results. And I just think that limits everything else we can do in education because we know that students, quite rightly, have got to focus in a lot of cases on that ATAR and what it then sends them off to beyond school. But it does limit a lot of things we can do in the younger years because everything's driven towards that. And I'm just not sure we've got that part of school, you know, that assessing and bell curving. And it just seems so regimented and so lacking in fostering creativity. Just not sure we've got that. Right, but I know the universities are going to want some way of measuring, but so it's challenging. It's certainly not an easy nut to crack, but um, I would really want to have a serious look at that, assessing the VCE or the Year 12 and how we look at university entrance and that whole ATAR system. That's the first thing I'd really put under the microscope because then other things can follow from there. I couldn't agree more with you there. I think Matt's on the same page and I know some of the uh, the brightest minds in Australia are working on it. 
But as you say, it's not an easy nut to crack. Uh, with that, that brings an end to our show for today. I hope you've enjoyed part three of our chat with Rob. Matt, come on now. I know you've got them. Closing comments. Well, I think my overarching sort of reflection, Rob, is that I feel like Luke and I, but also our listeners, have been through part of the school of principalship with you, that maybe there's not a definitive school of principalship out there, but you've given us a great insight into what it means to be a principal. And I think we've we field schooled in a good way, um, you know, into what that first 12 months looks like, but from sort of recruitment to now um, developing, you know, a vision for your school. So I feel absolutely privileged and honoured to share these episodes with you. And of course, the two highlights for me from today, again, is that that focus of, of decision making. And I particularly enjoyed that, that comment around communication strategy. And, you know, that drip feed, it's got to be often, it's got to be clear, but you don't have to throw it all out there in case you have to go back on, on what you've been sharing. And I certainly loved your three C's, you know, at Climate Raw. Loves uh, a good framework. On loves that. a good framework. Uh, Easy way to get into serious, Matt's heart. Mate, you know, you'll write a book. Uh, you'll make a lot of money from that. Um, <laughs> but for me, and I, I said it in our conversation today, that just for me so deeply ingrained in, in values, um, so centred on on what we're about in schools as educators, but also as professionals, you know, and what we want for our communities. And so I was really taken by that and it's certainly something that I'll take forward. And for me, I uh, had two things that I really loved about your comments today. Actually, three. The first one I'm going to go with is the comment you made around, I'm going to be better for others if I look after myself. You know, and I think that's super important that as a leader of a school, in order to be better for others, it starts with you and you can't get that from other people. You've got to do that for yourself and you've got to find that time. Um, I really liked your comment around the image you present to the community is extremely important, especially in times of crisis, but that level of calmness and you talked about that in your comments around what you'd recommend, but just staying calm and how important that image is to just to not be the person who's rushing through the office, you know, who's calm, collected, thoughtful, um, you know, how important that is for the community around you of both your educators and staff, but also parents and the connected community. And that insight that you had about prudence, how it doesn't necessarily bring you contentment or happiness, but the more you can practice that, I think you're right, bringing that back to the community atmosphere or the community connection. I think that that brings them a lot of safety and, and a lot of security. And I think that's a super important kind of a piece to think about. Um, Rob, look, I don't know if you've got any closing comments, but thanks again for giving up your time today to be on the podcast. You've been a, you've been a trooper giving up multiple hours over the journey and sharing in a really authentic manner, you know, in a really transparent manner, your journey that you've gone through. Um, it's not something that maybe many people would find that easy to do to be vulnerable. And I thank you so much on behalf of the audience for sharing that vulnerability about what you've gone through and the challenges and the good and the bad and the ups and the downs. So thank you so much. No, thanks so much, Luke and Matt. And as I said a few times, I, I really appreciated this podcast when I was getting ready for the role. It just came in such a good time for me last year when I discovered it. And so to be able to then contribute back, I really appreciated the opportunity. It was great to be able to talk to you because I'm sure it's been so helpful in preparing a lot of people for these sort of roles. But I know you're also speaking to a lot of other people wider education-wise. And so what you're doing is just brilliant for the whole education sector. So, and I think just opening up these conversations and avenues to have so many speakers is brilliant. So I really appreciate what you're doing. And no, it's been 
been a pleasure to be a part of it. Thank you so much. And now we've had first day, we've had uh, six months in, we've had one year in. I'm going to throw out a challenge that we come back in 10 years when Ed Leaders is uh, 12 years old, you're 10 years into the role, and we'll have another chat. Oh, that would be brilliant because by that stage, Ed Leaders will be a global phenomenon. Global <laughs> phenomenon. And all have got in on the ground floor. Exactly. We'll be bringing back an OG. for the audience out there please remember if you haven't already subscribed to the show please don't forget to share the love and tell a few of your colleagues maybe the person uh, responsible for your next pd day that perhaps you should listen to an episode of ed leaders you can join the tribe and become part of ed leaders at edleaders.com.au thanks again for listening and uh we'll catch you next week go well